When you think of German food, you do just think of uh, sausages and, and pork knuckle, potatoes, sauerkraut. That's literally it. But that's basically Bavarian food. This is Lecker. I'm Lucy Dealer. Christy Dietz is a German food devotee. Her knowledge of the country's cuisine is already wildly impressive. But what really struck me when talking to her is her hunger to constantly learn more about it in all its regional quirks and specialities. So I live in um, Wiesbaden, which is close to Frankfurt, so quite central Germany, uh, a bit to the left. And I went about 250 kilometres north a few a couple months ago to Munsterland and there they have this amazing ham Bestfellische Knochenschinken so it's kind of like uh, it's made from acorn fed pigs so it's um, a bit like Iberico in that sense and it's got the same kind of quite strong we have quite a bacony sort of flavour so it's, it's in wafer thin slices and it's this beautiful colour and I came back down south and no one had heard of it and also the other things I'd eaten whilst I was there, various other things. And this is like other Germans in the town that I'm in, which is like, no, I've never heard of that. I don't know what that is. And it happens, it happens a lot. The stuff I was eating last week up in the island of Usedom, the fish stuff up there. We don't get fish stuff where we are. And uh, it's amazing the stuff, like how intensely regional it is. It just doesn't spread anywhere else apart from Bavarian stuff. Christy writes about food and travel for a living. And, as you might have guessed, she writes predominantly about German food specifically. For places like The Guardian and Time Out, and she's also a regular contributor to National Geographic Traveller. She was born in London and has lived in France and also spent time in the US very recently, but has called Wiesbaden home for around eight years. As well as for other outlets, she writes a blog about German food called, brilliantly, A Sausage Has Two, after a German expression that goes, Alles hat ein Ende, nur die Wurst hat zwei. Everything has an end, only a sausage has two. This was a bit of an unusual setup for a lecker app, in that I didn't even have to leave my flat to record. Christy was in London visiting her parents and so turned up on my doorstep with a backpack of delicious German specialities for me. And it felt appropriate, given her area of interest and kind of what she writes about, that what she brought were two very, very specifically regional things. And I was really excited to find out more about them. We are looking at a, um, a double-wrapped in white paper bundle of herbs that I've brought over from um, Frankfurt. So this is a regional specialty called uh, Grunesorsa. So the herbs themselves are called Frankfurter Grunesorsa herbs. It's geographically protected, this source. So the herbs can only be grown in certain places in and around Frankfurt. And the herbs are in really specific quantities. I've looked up that you can get the document online of like the, the exact regulations for the... <laughs> It's EU protected, so geographically protected. So I guess it has to be. So in it is uh, parsley, borage, chives. What did I just say that was? Uh, sorrel, cress and burnet. It's one of my favourite dishes. It's certainly, my, I think, my favourite from where we live. So it, these will get chopped up and um, mixed with, you kind of make a bit of a mayonnaise type effort with some eggs and stuff and some, I think that you can use either sort of sour cream or yogurt or um, I prefer using creme fraiche. And 
Yeah, you turn it into a sauce and you eat it either with traditionally boiled eggs, half-boiled eggs and potatoes, which is delicious. Or um, you can get it with the local, one of the local sausages, not a, not like a bratwurst, but like a um, like one of the really dense cold ones that you heat up. That look like, It looks a bit like it's called Fleischwurst. It looks like a Frankfurter, but like a really big fat one. And it comes in a horseshoe. Um, so you warm a bit of that up and have a chunk of that. Or um, again with white fish. My favourite way to have it <laughs> is with um, brisket or this other cut of beef, which is from the rump. I don't know what the cut's called in English. It's called Tafelspitz. And they have it in Germany and in Austria. And I think Switzerland, but it's not. And they they've got this. They have the cut in in um, South America as well. I can't remember what it's called. A couple of people have said to me, "Oh, that's the called such and such, rump cap or rump something." Or I, d I really don't know. Anyway, it's kind of like a triangular shaped cut, and you um, do you have to cook it for a long time? It, yeah, for a good couple of hours. Boil it with some. Do you say boil? It sounds very unappealing like that. I think we have a bad connotation of boiled meat in yeah, this country. Definitely, especially. definitely. But it turns like with some vegetables and stuff and it just is fully and it also doesn't look particularly appealing on the plate because of course it goes slightly sort of greyish. But <laughs> I tried to tell well really selling it. Yeah, I know, but it's so delicious. That's the problem, German food I mean, you know, A I don't think anyone really knows just how wonderfully regional German food is and what amazing things there are there. B, it just photographs so badly. It just really looks unappealing. So, yeah. and it's really interesting how important that's become. It's hugely important. Yeah. It's probably more important than how it tastes to some people, just as long as you can get a good picture of it. Whereas <laughs> I would rather be able to like go out with a spoon and feed all of my, <laughs> all the people that follow me with a little spoon and get them to taste it than um, take a picture of it. Maybe there's a, a, mar a market for a new app here. <laughs> Tastegram. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> so can you tell me about the first time you ate this? Oh, God. Uh, I think no. Um, I mean, it was definitely something... So I've been in Germany for eight years and I definitely tried it in our old flat. Or it must have been in a... So we have a lot of traditional wine taverns and stuff around here. In Frankfurt, they have these um, apple wine taverns and that's like the super traditional thing to eat there. One of the things to eat there, apart from enormous plates of meat. Um, it's generally like the only vegetarian option you'll get. Anyway. But I remember just thinking, wow, this is a revelation. This is absolute... First of all, there's not any meat on this plate. Secondly, it's... Yeah, it's just not what you'd expect from German food at all. So it's been lovely and fresh. And they, I mean, there is a season for this, but obviously they, you know, they can grow these year round now. So you can have it any time of year, really. I love it. It's so fresh tasting and so green. I guess it's just like a variation on the green sauce theme that you get everywhere, like chimichurri and um, I guess even like parsley sauce or something. I'm interested by how specific it is, though, because I think a lot of, I mean, like chimichurri is kind of like, you know, whatever you can, and you can in make it. it with dried, yeah. you yeah, can make it with that's true. This whatever. is specific. This is very specific. And when you say it's EU protected, what do you mean? Well, because there's reg regulations, you know, um, you can only call... Uh, like champagne. Champagne, yeah, exactly. Or there's cheeses now here, aren't there, that are, um, you can only call... Oh, yeah, because like Stichelton and, and Stilton. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. You can only be called that if it's from you. It can only be called that if it's from there. So there are... Um, there are definitely a few. I had something as well last week that was that I was a bit surprised to turn, discover that it was. What was I writing about? Oh, a oh, badster. The um the the so you get it in beer gardens in B 
Bavaria, or not just in beer gardens. So cheese dips made with camembert. Mm. It's really good. And it's orange because you put paprika in it. Uh, it's camembert and some like... So it has to be, according to the EU uh, geographical protection, it has to be uh, 50% cheese. So you can use... Um, some camembert and then you mix in like some fresh cheese is it called fresh cheese in english like uh cheese like philadelphia stuff cream cheese cream cheese oh cream cheese um god it's terrible i can't speak english or german now um (laughs) the yeah uh what did you say cream cream cheese cheese. thank you cream cheese and if you want it a bit milder or you can there's a couple of like um stinky cheeses that you could well not stinky but like um stronger cheeses that you can mix in Need to, and an onion, other people add various things, caraway or dill, uh, not dill, chives. So, yeah, so I was really astonished to find, I mean, there are so many things around Germany that are really, really specific to the region. And people are really clear about the fact that it's come from there. Yeah, um, I had a, I had, so I've got an, a, another option as well. Yeah. I've got two other options. I always get a bit overexcited about, so this is, um, this is a cheese. It's got squashed in my bag. It's slightly ambitious bringing all this over. Oh, oh, so this has got, um, it's called Hamke's hand cheese. So this is, uh, again, local to where we, I think it's become, it's become more local. It used to be more widely made, I think, and now it's really local to where I am. A sour cheese made from cow's milk, and it's formed by hand. I don't know if this one was, I got this from the supermarket, I usually get it from the market. Um, it's formed into these pucks. Uh, but this, I like this sort of tackiness of it. Yeah. Um, I bet that's a really satisfying t- texture. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it literally took me eight years to get to like this. So it's hand keys, and then you make um, a marinade to go with it. Gets marinated in uh, vinegar and oil and un- chopped onion mm. and then caraway. The marinade is called mu- music. So it's hand, hand cheese with music and so there's two stories as to why it's called music. One is that in the old days they would mix the marinade at the table, so they'd have bottles of um, vinegar and oil, so the clinking of the bottles would make music. But most people say it's because of the onions in the sauce, sort of the sauce in the marinade. So after you've eaten it, a couple hours later, you might be producing some music. Both great stories. Both great stories, yeah. So, and then because I and got what ca- would you eat that with? So ah, so it bread slices of bread like just classic dark um, rye bread. Um, but in I love I and I love how intense people get about this. So where I live in in Wiesbaden and in mine it's the next town, you would eat it with a fork, just take bits off and eat it alongside the bread, but with a fork. Um, but in Frankfurt they go totally up in arms if you do that. They eat it with a knife they just cut off a chunk and put it onto the bread with a bit of marinade and then eat the bit of bread and they're thoroughly offended by the idea of using a fork <laughs> I did quite a long time ago I did um, a story on my Instagram um, about hand keys I think it's, I've saved it to my highlights showing it and talking about it and um, and in that I ate some with um, with a fork and I think I might have said at the time I'm thinking I'm going to upset a few people by doing this and the number of messages I got from people <laughs> What are you doing? You shouldn't be eating that with a fork. Wow. Yeah. What's the what's the beef with the fork? It's just, just not, just not how it's done. It's just not how it's done. That's you fair. see, that's, that's just fair. how it is. 
totally reasonable. <laughs> but people do. I mean, it's amazing. Like, you know, it's not just the actual dishes themselves, but the traditions that go with it that people are so kind of fallen about. And as somebody who's learning about this stuff, that must be kind of a weird thing to navigate. It's it's really, I find it quite, I'm kind of getting used to it, but it means that people are super um, opinionated. I, I don't know if it's more so than other cuisines, but I do get a lot of people telling me, like any pu- recipe I publish or anything I talk about, I will always get someone saying to me, no, that's wrong. That's not how it's done. But I mean, the thing is, it's, you know, it's a really complicated thing because it's not just, of course, it's, the recipes have been handed down throughout families. So every family's got their own recipe. And then, you know, because of the, the hit Germany's hit, rather complicated history you've had people moving from different parts of the country for various reasons bringing things with them to different places so you know you get really different variations on everything and it's impossible to please everyone I've got into you know huge arguments about what goes into Kunasosa whether it should be this or that and I think at the end of the day you just have to go with how you like having it best don't you I'm not trying to like bastardize any of the food that's happened to a lot of foods yeah and German food maybe not so much just because it's not so it's not eaten so much outside of yeah, Germany. Exactly. So Italian food has been, you know, bastardized yeah, yeah. to its eyeballs. Yeah. From everyone from Jamie Oliver onwards. Yeah, but yeah. I guess that hasn't happened. So when people are kind of aware of it being cooked, they're like, Well they're less kind of desensitized to it happened. Yeah. Happening, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, totally. It's a really fascinating cuisine that people don't I don't I think it's really undervalued outside of Germany. Because everyone, you know... I think you're right about people just thinking it's so it's meat and potatoes and yeah. sauerkraut and that's kind of it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that idea of, like, marinating the cheese and, like, I'm so intrigued by that. I, I've never we really... Can, yeah, we can do whichever yeah. one we want. Also, I hope you don't mind, I don't tend to wash those quite, quite early. Generally, I don't tend to wash things. Oh, I don't, not that, but if you want to, you could wet it with colloidium or just rinse it through. But although, do you want them dry? Like, do the herbs... We can just shake it off. Fine. Let's just do, yeah, I didn't realise how much that It's the trouble with shopping organically, isn't it? So, as I mentioned, we recorded this in my flat in London, and I have recorded quite a few things there, but I've never actually recorded anything in my own kitchen because the um, opportunity has just never arisen, I guess. Anyway, it turns out that the unique combination of my kitchen being a tiny box with no window, uh, my very old and slightly temperamental fridge and an extremely DIY installed induction hob that I've got all come together to make the absolute worst recording conditions. So I do apologise for the constant hum uh, over the kitchen stuff on this recording. Uh, and I hope you can still hear Christie's words of wisdom. Um, I'm so used to being able to go down, fresh air, like I can chat to people about what I'm buying, like someone else in the queue will be buying something, I don't know what it is, and we'll talk about what that is. And supermarket just to me feels really... They never have windows, do they? Mm. Like, not all the way. And so it's just dark and claustrophobic and... I know. I know it makes me sound like a right snob, but I I know how lucky I am to be able to do that. And in terms of kind of, because you said that before you moved to Germany eight years ago, you didn't speak German. Yeah, yeah, help yourself. Um, I found situations like that as somebody who lived abroad, lived in Germany for a little while. I just always found situations like that very intimidating, where you would have to kind of engage with this, like, and you don't know the names for things. And yeah, I mean, actually, I didn't go to the market for the last couple of years we were there I just didn't that surprise me and yeah. my father-in-law was like oh you should go to... I just didn't know what it was on or what was 
and then I was like what have I been doing all this time I've been going to like my yeah it can be kind of intimidating definitely but I love it now and also I have no shame with like with my German I'll just chat away I think that's part of the thing isn't it feeling intimidated by getting something wrong oh gosh you should I think now I'll just describe stuff and probably make a complete idiot out of myself but I really don't care I guess as you have come to know the food well that gives you kind of, that kind of emboldens yeah. you she's like I know what I mean I know I know what I'm talking definitely. about definitely food is definitely my strongest area of vocabulary <laughs> definitely like I would get lost trying to have like a conversation about Brexit which everyone wants to talk to about oh me um, I get you know like I have so actually my Brexit vocabulary is getting stronger but <laughs> like I would struggle having like a really intense discussion with that over dinner but um, food I'm away <laughs> no problem with food and is that kind of how you came to learn the language? We got there when I was, was I just turned 30, I think, or 31. And we could ask how to get to the train station. That was that was it. So I did intensive uh, courses. Do you think that's too much to put in there, Monica? Should I do, just yeah, do some? Yeah, maybe do that. Another? And then, so we're just going to blend this to chop it up finally. Just a little chive trapped in I don't want to make it into mulch. Yeah. Editing this episode has also made me reflect on how some cooking noises are wonderful and evocative and somehow appeal to more senses than just the ear. And some are not. But it did smell good in the kitchen, so you'll just have to take my word for it. Oh my god, that smells so good. It smells really good. It's so green smelling. Yeah, and just the combination of the parsley and the... I think it's, a, it's chervil and a CD kind of smell, maybe. Oops. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I think you're right. It's quite... Yeah. Um, so, what's next? So, we have to... Um, how long have the eggs been in? Oh, God, maybe should have timed it, shouldn't Maybe we? not quite long enough. Maybe a little Oh, no longer. one else prepped. Oh, that's okay. Okay, fine. <laughs> this is my sort of cooking, Christy. I like it. I've become so much more laid back. I used to be... And it is directly related to having had children. It, I used to be really anal and like recipe oriented. I, I was recipe orientated because I would enjoy trying new things. And if I was trying new ingredients, and I didn't know how to use them. Totally, then. Yeah. So and when we moved to um, Germany, I suddenly had time because I was so I was studying German, and then I was kind of getting pocket money, like going and talking English to small children and stuff. So um, and swimming and stuff. So I was busy, but it meant I also had time to play more in the kitchen so that was at some point that was when um uh plenty had come out by yotamata mengi so that really coincided and that fully transformed how we ate this kind of for bernie this idea that you could eat meat eat with a meal without meat and me just being able to do things that were a little bit more process led than what i've been used to cooking up until that point it just been solid nigel slater i think probably so i got really heavily into doing more complicated things with ingredients that i didn't know for a really long time but then, and you know, like doing really elaborate feasts for <laughs> friends and stuff. And I suddenly realised that I just can't do that now. So I'm much more laid back and I've become much more. Also, it's easier in the summer, like when I go down to the market and I can pick out like a ton of really amazing fresh summer stuff. I think it's much more easier to, much more, much easier to experiment just throwing stuff together that mm. way than... Um, then in winter where you've got a load of roots and stuff and you're like well yeah. I'll, I'll mash that or I'll turn it into soup like that's yeah that's very true um yeah um how do you think it's changed your experience of living in Germany writing this 
right, sort of writing along these topics. Do you think you've interacted with kind of the country in a different way, having this focus on it? Yeah, I must have done, really. I mean, I guess I don't think about it because it's just I guess how, it's I, hard to separate. how I operate. Yeah. But for me, always. I mean, it does definitely reveal things about people and different parts of the country because I'm so interested in the tradition, the side of the traditions as well. It definitely opens up a very different understanding of people. I think, I, yeah, I'm sure I have a different understanding of things. Because, so, I mean, some of the stuff that goes on in terms of culinary traditions is just so completely absurd when you look at it at face value. You know, this tradition of having um, royalty for different vegetables and stuff, you know, linked with harvest festivals, having a white asparagus queen, someone that goes around kind of promoting uh, the local produce and opening festivals and all that sort of thing. That is quite Who is like a proper local sort of. So I met um, the the uh, the white asparagus queen for the queen queen for the region whilst I was in Munsterland, and um, we were at her family farm. So you have to have a his, some kind of history and connection with the produce. You can't just walk. I couldn't probably. Maybe I'll try walking up and becoming a white asparagus queen at some point. But you have to have some kind of tradition. You know. Um, uh, God, I can only think of the job. Uh, connection. Um, so she's on her family farm and she got dressed up for us when we arrived. She's wearing her sash and a little tiara on her dress. So we were there and like, so on the farm, it's like mid asparagus season. They've got a tiny little farm shop. It was all really homely and kind of like, it wasn't one of these farm shops. It's been like this tiny little thing. They've got literally just what they have on offer, plus a couple of other things that you might eat with white asparagus. We were just, doing something or other in the shop and these two little old ladies came in, gasped, like, <gasps> the white asparagus, get like super excited and then followed and we were trying, to, I was trying to interview her, the photographer there was trying to take pictures and these two little grannies just were like following us around, waiting to try and get a photo with the white asparagus queen. Like just a proper, I asked her what, you know, what her duties were and she's like, well, you know, I go to this festival, I'm going to open this, I go and talk to so-and-so um, and there's a lot of selfies in the street. And I was like, wow. So it's like you know, and you that's, never would have thought. No, and that this is all over Germany. I um, wrote about for um, so an American food history journal. It's quite new, called Eaton, and I wrote an article from last year about um, the radish king of Schifferstadt, which is a town not far from where we are. He um, he's the first king because historically it's always been uh, women that have done it, but now bizarrely women have started doing things like going to university and having other things to do with their lives so there's like a real um lack of women that apply for the position <laughs> so they had um that so um, um they that you're interviewed by the i think in his case it was a t it's a town thing so i guess it was the council um they had to have a vote on whether they would start allowing men to apply for the position and um the decision was not unanimous <laughs> But uh, this chap was able to apply and he got the position. So wow. he's the first radish king of Schifferstadt. But I mean, these also, the, like the root, it's not like they just suddenly one day decided, oh, let's have a radish queen. That was all part of So that was um, during the, just before the Second World War. So that was a whole part of this kind of like the National Socialist Party just come to power and they were trying to push towards autarky and everything you know, gems existing on only their own food um, or what they'd grown. So it was a way of promoting. Um, oh, so I'm sure so at it's the got time, quite a the first history. Yeah, well, I mean, 
yeah <laughs> i mean not all of i can't say for certain no, no, this is all course. of them but certainly yeah. in the case of the radish queen she she um i mean i doubt very much a sexy a 16 16 year old girl would have no. been aware of the fact that it was essentially kind of propaganda but um yeah this idea of promoting the vegetable inside of germany yeah my god totally mad the pictures from that are amazing there's a a facebook page i remember getting into um all kinds of amazing black and white photos from I think it was that first one in 30 God, I can't remember what year it was beginning of the 30s mm. anyway um and amazing black and white pictures of like this whole procession and um like papier mache because it's the white radishes the long white big right, radishes yeah, yeah, not yeah. like little red ones totally amazing When I first moved to Wiesbaden, so it's, it's a town of like 350,000, it's really not a big place and it's really leafy and green and quiet and I commute to the next town and it's like 10 minutes, I always get a seat on the bus, I always get a seat on the train and I was so happy to have that after being in London. And then this, and I was starting to get itchy feet before we went to DC and it's one of the reasons we decided to go, like we wanted a year out somewhere else. Coming back, it's definitely instilled a bit of that. Like, I do miss the city. And we are close to Frankfurt, and I love Frankfurt. We can get there, really, it's like half an hour on the train, 40 minutes on the train. But coming back here, like, it does... I do get properly emotional now on the... If you sit on the right-hand side of the plane on the way over, you fly all the way um, along the Thames. And I do get a proper, like... And I'm sure it's partly, like, I don't get homesick anymore because the whole home thing is so complicated for me now, but just to see London from above and see like you can pinpoint places where things have happened and like I don't know you just feel London yeah totally yeah. it's amazing and I mean I don't I can't speak for anywhere else but I feel like this that's particularly powerful in London because of all these landmarks that have this meaning yeah, kind of imbued in them anyway and then and then you have your own meaning overlaid over yeah, that yeah. and like all of these things that especially growing up here you must have that kind of yeah I mean I moved here when I was 18 so I very much have like this story of my life yeah. like throughout different parts of London and I find it very like even still living here it makes me quite emotional because I'm like there is so much history here that kind of is entwined from my life and everyone else's lives and this, yeah objective like, history I don't know if it, it probably is to do with getting older and like but I do and I definitely get more emotional but about places now I, I'd like, I know you said it's complicated, but I would like to talk to you about this idea of food and home yeah. and how that's kind of connected for you. And I guess because that must be now connected to language for you, right? Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. The language aspect's currently very confusing because I just I can't think of words in English, but I also still get confused in German when I'm walking down the street here, like, you know, it's like, I don't know, you rehearse conversations with someone in your head, like, always, always, the bus driver or the whatever, and I do that in German, and then I think, oh no, that's not, I don't need to do that here. Um, and, um, oh, I don't know, I don't know how to start talking about it. 
Uh, How does it relate to food for you? Because it, it must have been that as you were learning German, you were learning this whole kind of other language that wasn't necessarily entirely verbal, but that was about food, especially because food is so important to you. Yeah. And did it feel like there was this whole, even as you were learning vocabulary, there was this whole other thing you had to understand? Well, no, it's not. I mean, but, you know, food is arguably like one of the most important aspects of a culture. I mean, important. Uh, but so, yeah, there was a sense of kind of like learning, because obviously my in-laws are there and stuff, learning the traditions, like the family traditions and the German traditions that go alongside with it. So sort of sliding into how things are done there and understanding that. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it felt like, I suppose you have to get used to like when you go out it's a very specific sort of culture there. Like, it's not a hit in London where you, oh, what should we have tonight? Or let's go up for this or that or this or that and having a choice. It's very much like, you know, if you're going out, it's most likely something really traditional and kind of understanding how that all works. And um, I suppose, actually, well, I suppose it became more obvious because I, I'm used to just turning up somewhere and starting somewhere new and doing something different. So I suppose it didn't... I'm not the sort of person that it would come as a bit of a shock to. Sure. But having said that, when we were in the States last year, that was a massive learning curve, like how things worked in the supermarkets. Um, and that's really interesting because that's obviously an English-speaking country, yeah, so, so you haven't got that bad. I've had, I've had more trouble linguistically with Americans and culturally than I have ever had with Germans and stuff. It really it's um, having to translate not just actual words, but also meaning behind things. The guys away with us, we're constantly having total confusions so about what we're saying with each other um but yeah everything like from in the supermarket the enormous range of stuff and like why don't they have why are most of their sausages made out of chicken like i want and like i want you know things that you don't really expect and then these huge frozen aisles of whatever and but then you know also like the fact when you get to check out you you have all the time in the world it's de- like this is now your moment at the till <laughs> god like, that is very you angry. can spend as long as you want you can chat someone else is going to pack your bags which is something i really couldn't deal with and occasionally would forget and start packing my bags and they would be like clearly insulted that i was trying to do it myself it's like all that kind of how things work in that sense um and just yeah it's so I think I sort of understood how different things were back in Germany once it's the same as anything you go traveling you get totally different perspective not of just where you've gone but also where you've just come from so Mm. you know I came back with I've got a very different perspective on life in the UK from having lived in Germany and then in the States I got again a totally different perspective on on how things are in Germany but yeah I don't know I suppose like I kind of you know of course I've taken things with me food wise you know like I'll make uh, roast chicken and be like oh yeah or something that was something that my that is inf- heavily influenced by how my mum cooked but I kind of very much when I come back here there are things I very much expect from that come out the kitchen like, I, I tend to cook more when I'm home now anyway because my parents are older but like last night my mum whipped out her legendary fish pie and like you know there's some say. things that are just that's really connect- and it probably wouldn't taste the same if she made it when she was staying with us in Germany and there are things that I try to recreate she grew up in Brazil and she has this rice oh. dish she always makes and I just can't make it taste I use exactly down to the brand like I will use exactly the same ingredients and it just won't taste the same so 
Um, yeah, but the the whole home thing is really very complicated for me now because, as I said, I feel other everywhere, and it's really jarring to feel other in your own country. Like to come back here and not know how things work, and I sound English, but I'm asking why my ten pound note is no longer accepted because it went out of uh, service. No, out of use like two x months ago oh yeah just feel like a massive idiot all these little tiny things that you don't think about twice when yeah you're, when you are somewhere yeah 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 do you think i mean obviously there are situations where you could you, it is different you can't have it but do you feel like within food you still feel at home so you could come here and go to a butcher or whatever or does that still feel quite alien that's a good question actually I, still, I wanted to go to the butcher in um, where my parents are to ask him about the tuffle spitz um <laughs> uh yeah i'd probably feel like a bit of an idiot because i'd be because my whole frame of reference has changed now totally yeah. so i would probably feel a bit but i think that's i don't know if it would come across like that mm. i don't know if it's just like a personal i feel awkward doing this because i don't know yeah. um I do know what you mean though, because I, you know, I there's lots of pubs where I'm like, oh, I don't know, like, is it table service? Is it not? But like, it's just about how you navigate that. It's like, well, I know that this is yeah. the norm, and it's I know that I've got the confidence for me to be like, yeah. what is going on here? Can you just tell yeah. me? Whereas if that's not your familiarity, then yeah. you're kind of like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The last time we were over at Christmas, and we went to visit my um, my grand, who's ninety nine, and she was in um, Arundel. We went down there and on the way back we stopped at a pub for lunch and um and oh, I had gammon and egg and chips it was heaven and but we walked in and it was a bit of a like you know everyone sort of turns around and looks at you and uh and we stood there and I suddenly realized I had no idea what to do like if I should go up to the and but so I went up to the bar and said oh is it tables that like oh uh is it table service and I just felt like a complete it was like I was doing it for the first time and I didn't, and yet I looked like, well, maybe not looked like, but sounded like I totally fitted in, like that I should know how everything worked. And it felt so alien and weird and uncomfortable. And yet I would do that with total confidence in in another country, just be like, how does this work? Sorry, can you help me? And almost because your otherness is more externally recognisable because people mm. can hear that you've got an accent I guess mm. like you know no matter how good your German is then there's always that yeah. element of but it's almost quite freeing yeah totally way. freeing <laughs> totally free. Like to begin to begin with learning German, I would hate trying to speak to people because I was so conscious of mistakes I was making, like knowing I wasn't getting right. And then at a certain point, something just clicked, and I was like, I no longer care anymore. Like I'm just gonna mangle this language. And uh, yeah, now I have. I'm totally confident talking about people and stuff. And I, like I said, I would just will just make up word. Like in German, you can easily make up a word yeah, to there's try. A and, yeah. Um, so. I think, like, especially doing what I'm doing, I'm so keen to let and people really appreciate that I'm really interested in their traditions and how things work. That I think, yeah, there would be, yeah, it's not a problem anymore, not at all. I'm quite happy doing it. Do you, I mean, you kind of said this, so I think I know the answer, but do you, is it a permanent home that you've made yeah. in Germany? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I feel more at home. Do I feel more at home? No, I do feel more at home then now. And there's, so in German, there's this, this word Heimat, which is not just like a physical place, like your home, but also has this real emotional connection to it. And that's what I have now. Like when we got back from the States, we, um, just to suddenly find myself like on the train going through the vineyards again, 
and like I went on this um I got invited by the guy that I now work with on one of his wine tours around the region we were sitting in the vineyards it was October but it was still t-shirt weather it was beautiful so it was this golden light like it was the last day of um grape harvest so there's people it's the local football team had been like uh were um helping pick the last of the grapes and we sat with them and had a like proper rustic lunch in the vineyards and I looked across and this is another one of these moments of just like and I nearly started crying I was like this is like this is actually what feels like home to me now which is so bizarre having grown up in London and being like definitely having like a bit of a city person still in me but just to um yeah that that's like what I think of as home now What Christy was saying at the end there ties into something I think about a lot in relation to Lekka. How food fits in when we talk about the notion of home. This is a really complicated thing for a lot of people, as it is for Christy, but food can help us make a new home, or remind us of one left behind, or fulfil a whole load of other undefinable meanings. And it's a really significant thing. Thank you to Christy Dietz with her big bag of herbs and her hand kizer, which I am embarrassed to say I could not eat. I'm sorry, Christy. Maybe I'll get used to it in eight years, like she did. You can read Christy's writing at asausagehas2.com and find her on social media at asausagehas2. I particularly recommend her Instagram, where followers can live vicariously through her amazing food and travel trips. I love being virtually led by her through regional specialities and delights all around Germany and beyond. And also huge congrats to Christy for being made a finalist in this year's IACP Awards, that's the International Association of Culinary Professionals, very well deserved. You can see some pictures of the Gruner Saucer and the Handkeiser on the Lecker Twitter and Instagram. That's at Lecker Podcast. Music is, as always, by Blue Dot Sessions. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening.